name is Thies Hetzert and welcome to a new episode of my podcast series Yellow Cap, in which I'm talking to alumna entrepreneurs from Erasmus University Rotterdam to find out what drives their entrepreneurial mindsets. I feel proud to be a student ambassador for Erasmus Enterprise, the community of entrepreneurs and innovators at the Erasmus University Rotterdam campus. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to our uh, fifth episode of our, our podcast series. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing uh, Mickey Chen. Mickey is an alumna from the IBA bachelor program at RSM and has completed a uh, master's in uh, information systems at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, the reason why I've invited uh, Mickey for this podcast episode is because she is a very inspiring and successful entrepreneur and a true role model for all of us as students. She's been featured quite extensively on uh, the YouTube channel of the uh, Rotterdam School of Management, where she shared her motivation to do the uh, bachelor studies in IBA. So uh, I, I won't go into detail about your study trajectory, uh, Mickey, uh, and we'll focus more on your uh, entrepreneurial journey. So after her studies, Mickey uh, first participated in a uh, sales traineeship at uh, IBM in, uh, in Ireland, and uh, she worked there for one year. Thereafter, she, uh, she worked for three years at uh, Salesforce, uh, serving uh, different uh, leadership roles. Her latest venture, which she started in January 2020, is called Minute.Works, uh, which is an online platform connecting students with companies of all sizes and industries, helping these companies to outsource flexible, skill-based uh, projects. So it's a great pleasure interviewing you, Mickey, and I'm very much looking forward to your conversation. Uh, perhaps as a starter, I would like to ask you to tell me a bit more about your own personal background. So where do you originally come from and what your childhood looked like? Sure, and thanks for, for having me, Tis. I really appreciate it. In terms of personal background, I am from Nepal originally. I was born there. Um, my mom's from Nepal. My dad is Chinese. We moved to the Netherlands when I was very young, so I pretty much grew up here. And um, yeah, I think I've been in the Netherlands for... 25 years um majority of my life yes cool yeah you lived a lot of places as well right uh, well we'll touch upon that uh, later yeah. during our interview yeah. so cool after your uh, your studies you pursued a career in tech i'm, I'm wondering uh, as, a, as a as a female what is your perspective on a sort of the gender representation within within tech that's a good question i do think well, it's not, I think, actually, if you look at the stats, um, they don't lie, obviously. I believe less than 20% of the workforce in tech is female. That's, I mean, it's not a great number, but if you look at what that was like five or 10 years ago, there's been a massive increase there. I do think tech is one of the most forward-looking industries. Um, and when I look at my own former employer, Salesforce, they do so much to you know balance out uh, make sure that there is gender equality and they do a lot of, you know, female empowerment, um, making sure that the hiring process is fair and just trying to make industry as a whole more attractive. But absolutely, we, we still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, so, yeah, you're a, you're a serial entrepreneur. You have founded different ventures, uh, which I already mentioned at the beginning. Um, why do you keep launching new ventures? What's, what's, what brings <laughs> you satisfaction to it? 
Well, Minute is my third venture now, and I feel like, you know, three times a charm. Um, it's really true. <laughs> I tried a lot of different ventures. I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. My first company um, I launched when I was seven, um, had my own um I was deeply obsessed with Harry Potter, so I created my own website there, and then I monetized that through ads. So that's kind of where it all started. And then when I was studying IBA at RSM, I co-founded a um, student organization. When I was working at Salesforce, I had a little home-based bakery on the side. So, you know, I've always done all of these little entrepreneurial projects. For me, it's only natural to continue to look for new ideas. However, now with Minute, it's um, it's going really well. It's really taken off, and it is currently taking up all of my time. Like I would say, ninety nine point nine percent is is on this venture, and so here I feel like I'm at a point where I'm I'm putting everything, all of my own resources, on this right now, and so I kind of have to put a pause on the other two ventures, which is um, which is a little sad, but you know, maybe in the future we'll, we'll resume that. But there's just no time right now. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so you you actually make sort of deliberate uh, uh, choice there to have like diff, uh, different ha- managing different ventures simultaneously. Yeah. Okay, cool. But then it also comes at a certain cost, right? Um, you mean to have three companies or yeah, to be in- to, to have three companies? It comes at a cost. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I lived in uh, Singapore for uh, almost two years. I was mostly running box in the happiness projects there. And already for me, managing two ventures that were both very new and um, that you're still really trying to gain market share from is, is incredibly difficult. And I had already had the idea for a minute since, since that from when I was a student. So this was something I always had in the back of my mind. So I was running two things. And then a third one was like, you know, it was kind of like drafting up business plans for that. And at the same time, I was living in this really cool city that I wanted to explore, which you can't really do because you spend all of your time indoors working. Uh, it does come at a cost, absolutely. I think the other cost is every minute you spend on one venture, you can't spend on the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I actually would not recommend this to anyone else. It's just I, I really like trying out a lot of different things. I, I, I try different industries and everything, just see what works, what doesn't work. What do I like to do? How does the market respond? And once you find that good fit um, and you enjoy doing that, then I feel that's something you should focus on in full, which is what I'm doing now with Minute. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so you, you mentioned there a little bit shortly the, the timing of your uh, of founding um, a minute, Minute.Works. Can you please tell me about why you uh, kept this idea in mind and why did you start with this in January 2020? So... The idea for Minute was formed over many years, actually. It started when I was an IBA student myself. And I think like most students, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after graduation. And of course, we can do internships, right? But if you choose an exchange, which is what I did, you already can't do your internship anymore. Um, Obviously, you can do a summer internship, and there, there are always opportunities, right? But we don't always know as students where to find those opportunities. And for myself, that translated in me almost graduating and still not knowing what to do. I was really interested in tech, but even within tech, you know, you can go to, I don't know, like a multinational corporation, a startup, a scale up, maybe you want to be an entrepreneur. If you do go to a large company, which one, what department, what position? There's so many choices that students need to make. And how can you make an informed decision if you haven't even experienced it? 
So that's where I found the problem on the student side. And then when I started working at IBM and Salesforce, I work with hundreds and hundreds of startups and scale-ups. Um, I spoke with so many of those and they always told me like one of their main challenges is it's so hard to find good, young, ambitious talent. And there is so much work to be done, but that work can't just be done by anyone. It's got to be, you know, smart, intelligent people that can learn quickly and that are flexible. And that's where I kind of started connecting the dots. And I just started asking um, my clients like, hey, what if I could give you a really smart business student who could look after your marketing for you? Would that be interesting? And that's how the user interviews actually started while I was still working my previous job. Mm. And for me, at some point, I just kind of thought, this is something that, you know, it had been developing for, for many years. But as soon as I clicked those two together, I started working out a business plan. I refined that many times, spoke with hundreds of more um, business owners about that. And for me, January 2020 felt like that, you know, the time to just kick start it and, and see how it how it goes. And mm -hmm. it's going well. Cool. Well, congrats on that. Um, so you you first um, worked on that part time on a part time basis. And then you devoted yourself full time to uh, to that venture. Uh, part time in the sense that there were still two other ventures that needed to be managed. Mm -hmm. So definitely part time, not in a sense of, you know, 20 hours, because obviously for an entrepreneur, work is work is always on work is 24 seven. Mm -hmm. But yes, I did decide to pursue this 100%. This is for me, it's really what I'm most passionate about amongst all of my ventures, and something where I see the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, can you zoom in on, on a little bit more on that? Because you yeah, you make you have these three, uh, three ventures managing simultaneously, and then you make a decision to to go for one venture, right? To devote all your your time and effort to that, that venture. Yeah. Uh, it's going very well now, but at the beginning, I'm wondering what drove your decision to choose that uh, venture? There's a couple of things. I think with everything, you need to be very realistic. It's important to understand when a company is scalable and when it is not. And for me, the happiness project was not scalable. This was a service where we would create customized gift experiences to, to corporate employees, to partners, to clients. It's a great idea in theory. And we had almost 20 launching customers, which was really nice. But when you think about the amount of work that went into it, each company wants their own creative, has their own creative identity. And for you to translate that every single time into a completely new experience takes so many hours and therefore it is so hard to scale. Mm -hmm. So for me, I decided that, you know, unless I could find a way, you know, if, if only I had like, you know, an automated way to do that. Um, but there I, I just decided if the only way you can grow is by hiring more people, then I don't believe in the product anymore, which is also why I decided to completely shut down the happiness project. Boxy is still ongoing. It's going well, but at the end of the day, it's a web shop, which means uh, not to discredit any other web shops, but I don't feel that I need to put 200% of my hours in there, right? A web shop is pretty scalable. The, the majority of the time was spent on designing the clothes, which I've done full-time for, for six months, um, talking with the manufacturers and all of that. All of those relationships are, are done. The contracts are, everything is set. So now what needs to be done is Obviously, it needs to be sold, but that's going at a steady rate. And so that's why I also don't feel like that's something that I would want to 
um, pursue is not the right word, but put 100% of my resources into. Mm -hmm. Okay, clear. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, you you uh, you are at the beginning of your uh, uh, of your entrepreneurial pursuit at uh, at Minute.Works. Um, what was sort of your first customer which you uh, served? You mean who was my first customer? Yeah, who was your first customer? So I'm not at liberty to share the name, um, but obviously you never forget your first customer. It's um, it was a funny process because we first started doing a lot of user interviews with companies in general. And then at the end, we would do like a, a short pitch, like, hey, how do you feel about this idea? Is that something that you would want to use? A lot of times companies will say, oh yeah, I'd like to use it. But how many of those companies will actually use it, right? Um, mm -hmm. I feel like you can only really validate your product by finding out how many paid customers you're going to have. And the first one is always the hardest. And our first one, it took a lot of time. Like it definitely took seven weeks of nurturing for what was a very small assignment. But when we finally onboarded that first client, we gave this company so much love and attention, you know, we really nurtured it and we listened to their feedback and um, uh, we gave, we sent them a little Christmas card and a little thank you. When the first project was finished, um, we, we designed our own little card just to say like, hey, thank you for being one of the first customers and for your trust and everything. Um, this customer has also gone on to um, become a recurring customer now. Mm. But yeah, I think that uh, every entrepreneur will agree with me that the first few customers, you you never forget. <laughs> yeah, ah, oh, that's interesting. So you uh, you put in a lot of personal personalized uh, services in that you you, you really absolutely. I think you have to. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. But then, um, how did you deliver it on your on your on your expectations? Do you mean how did I convince him to start a project with us, or how did I make sure that? the quality of the project was yeah exactly this, the latter, the latter? yeah sorry <laughs> okay no, no no sure of course <laughs> so the first thing um, to keep in mind is that all of our students are uh, fully verified by ourselves so it's not like just any person can create a profile with us which is one of our key competitive differentiators that was already a major trigger point for this customer actually for all of our customers mm -hmm. but you have to go much further than just you can't just match a student with the company and then say, okay, you know, good luck of taking my fee and, you know, sort it out amongst yourselves. And um, you really, really need to help facilitate it. That's also part of the service that we're offering. We actually really call it student as a service um, because it only starts when we match, but then we have evaluation both with the student um, and with the company separately and together. Mm -hmm. um, if the student is not sure about the task, they can always come to us. We always provide guidance. We help prep a student to, you know, how to deliver a killer interview, how to draft a strong proposal. Mm -hmm. If something is not good or someone is not happy, they can reach out to us instantly. And having that accessibility and, you know, for both parties to know how approachable we are um, takes away a lot of the fears that new customers might have with, uh, you know, nobody ever wants to be the first customer of a startup, right? It's a scary thing. <laughs> So you can never fully mitigate the risks, but uh, or remove the risk, but you can mitigate the risk. And one of the ways in, in doing that is really creating that personal relationship. And this project went really well, but of course, 
the customer also has questions, you know, after a week, he's like, okay, I'm not sure um, if we need to go into this direction or in this direction, what do I do? And then I'm like, hey, let's hop on a 30 minute call and let's sort it out. And we sorted it out that same, uh, that same day. So a lot of trust building. Yeah. Okay. Never interesting. And then, um, yeah, you, you sort of get, you, you acquire customers, but then um, you also spend a lot of time uh, nurturing your relationship with the with that customer, as you mentioned. Yeah. Why do you then keep persevering with your idea? So why do you still keep continuing despite maybe suffering quite some losses at the beginning? Because the beginnings are never easy, and I don't think beginnings ever should be easy. If If it were easy, then everyone would do it. I know that entrepreneurship is something that for many people, they um, see it as, you know, a kind of a fairy tale, but then once they actually start um, running their own business, a lot of those people, they stop within the first 30 days because they greatly underestimate it. And that's why I say beginnings are challenging, but if you know how to break through that barrier, that's when the real reward is, is, is going to be found. For me, it's always, I always talk about, you know, finding your why and what does that really mean? If you know why you're doing something mm -hmm. and for the average entrepreneur, nobody does it for the money or for the, for the equity or for the fame, or, you know, it's, it's none of that. There is always a certain mission, a vision that you have behind your company. Why do you do this? And for me, it's because I see the number of students that struggle with career decisions, the number of people unhappy stuck in their jobs because they feel like, oh my God, I made the wrong decision mm -hmm. five years ago. And here I am now, either having lost five years of my life, or maybe I feel now stuck in this career path and I'm going to have to continue or I'll have to, you know, start from the bottom again in a new industry. Mm. But also on the startups and the scale-up side, I'm seeing, I'm obviously in the, in the startup ecosystem now, and I'm seeing so many companies that come to me and they say, okay, we need to do something with the marketing. We have no clue how to. And even if you just give them a few quick wins, they're already growing so much from that. And just seeing that impact is so strong. Um, I always say like, hey, if we have helped even one student make a better informed career decision, even if we have helped just one startup grow faster, then we have reached our goal. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is really my why, just making everything better. Yeah, so so that's uh, sort of the social impact of your uh, of your uh, venture. Uh, yeah. That's sort of the measure of your of the health of your business, right? But then at a certain yeah. moment, you also need to scale, and that's what you also referred to earlier. That you uh, deliberately choose to uh, devote your efforts and time to work on this idea. Uh, minute that yeah. works. What uh, sort of KPIs are you then tracking to um, determine whether this project is scalable or not? Well, I come from a sales background, right? So uh, KPIs are like written all over my face and we do have <laughs> dashboards and everything. We, we track everything meticulously. <laughs> I also think it's important to understand that at the beginning, you have to do things that don't scale. I think that most entrepreneurs will, will tell you that. In order to automate process, in order to, to make it scale, you need to understand what needs to be automated. Um, and what processes do you need to continue doing manually? Mm -hmm. For me, when I look at, um, for example, the verification process of our students, uh, right now this is a manual process. I want to get to know my students. I want to know who these people are, not just on paper, but who are the people behind them. It takes a lot of time. 
That is something that is so important to our clients, to our startups and scale-ups, having that personal connection. So I would never fully remove that process. However, we are looking um, into automating 80% of that with AI. Obviously, at the end of the day, we are a platform, right? We, we're a software solution. So in that sense, yes, we're very scalable. We don't need to, you know, it's not, it's not like a physical restaurant where every time you have the same startup cost in a new country, no, we can just deploy that worldwide, wherever. Um, we are deployed in the cloud. So in that sense, scalability is, is, is very, very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I do, I try to build that to scale. But again, if you want to scale, you need to know what processes needed to be scaled. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, there are also certain limitations, I would say, to your to your scaling of your company. Uh, what would be examples of such limitations for scaling Minute.me? Minute.works? Oh, er, Minute.works. Sorry, I was thinking <laughs> about Magnet.me, but that's a, <laughs> that's <laughs> a competitor. <laughs> Um, no, they're actually not our competitor at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I actually like to view other platforms as, um, not as competitors. I think there's enough market share for all of us, but I also feel that from the surface, a lot of platforms may look similar, but if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that all of those are actually distinctly different. (laughs) Um, but sorry, that was, that was not your question. Your question was, um, things that don't scale. Yeah, or are there certain limitations to your 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 further scaling indeed yeah um i mean if you look at it from a product point of view no that's simply because i decided from day one that we're gonna deploy that into the cloud and that it has to be platform otherwise it'll never scale that's because i come from a software as a service background myself if i look at it from a people point of view obviously people are not very scalable so i I'm a huge fan of automating anything you can automate and using tools more than people. To give you an example, marketing automation. You don't always need a marketeer to uh, manually create a ton of campaigns and then track everything. That's not efficient. And that's not what a marketer should be doing. Marketeer should be running the marketing automation campaigns and then let the computer do as much as possible. And then the marketeer should do the, you know, the, the smart work as I like to call it, you know, they should do the the analyzing and they should advise on, hey, here's what we're seeing from those automated results, uh, from the automated campaigns. Here's what we need to do to get better. Um, the the kind of the, the human brain thinking as I'd like to mm-hmm. call it. So there will always be things that um, have a limit to scaling, but I think it's always about finding that finding that balance. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I was also wondering, you know, if you look at the the whole startup ecosystem in the Netherlands, you see that a lot of tech companies have difficulty attracting sort of digital talent. And I, I was wondering whether you also see uh, this shift from permanent contracts to more flexible based work unfolding in the future. Um, what will be the impact of also this remote work situation on, on the whole um, yeah, nature of work? Will there will that be a huge opportunity for you going forward? I definitely think there's a massive opportunity here, not just for us, but for a lot of companies. Remote work is something that I don't think is going to go away ever, um, even in a post-COVID period. But it's also something that we're not going to be adopting 100%. People are 
most people, I mean, we're social creatures, so you still want to kind of have that real-life interaction. That's really nice. But we're also seeing the huge benefits of remote working. People, on average, are more productive working remote. And so what you're seeing is that a lot of tech companies are now adopting a do as you want strategy where you know you you can come to the office you can you can work remote whatever you want to do as long as you do your job and more and more startups are adopting this approach mm-hmm. for us the, the biggest benefit is that because we're now seeing the benefit of of remote work i can now connect a student from erasmus university with a startup in you know Kroninger, or even further in the UK, um, we recently connected a student from RSM to a client in Switzerland. That's no problem because they're so used to the world of remote work. They they don't care, you know. They're like, hey, as long as the job gets done, we're we're happy. At the end of the day, it's 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 flexible. Mm. Um, and that brings me to uh, your second or your first question, actually, about flexible work. We've spoken with. I think more than 600 students, maybe even 700, and done a ton of user interviews. And we just asked them, how do you envision your career in two or three years when you graduate? What excites you? Um, What kind of company do you self-working for? And then a lot of students, they would come back and say, well, I'd actually like to work for multiple companies if I could, because there are so many choices. But I also want to be my own boss, and I'd also like the flexibility of doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And I want to have more autonomy. And this is something we're really seeing among the new generation, you know, Gen Z is all about having more ownership themselves. They don't go for the traditional career path of promotion after promotion and then spending 40 years in the same company. They want to switch around. So I do think we're going to see a huge shift there in the workforce by having much more uh, flex workers or freelancers. Yeah, exactly. What are then on the other hand some um, yeah some uh, drawbacks of that whole shift? You know, um, you, you have it's, it's it's going to be a massive impact also on on you know the cultures of these companies and the. the uh... I'm not sure that it's so much a question of changing your culture or your core values, but the difference is in how you communicate it, mm-hmm. and how do you make sure that even in a digital world everyone feels aligned. This is the most I would say the number one challenge that most companies have have had over the past year, how do we make sure that all of our team members in this area where everyone is dispersed can still work towards the same goal and not just do your own core job? Because at the end of the day, you want your people to feel aligned with everything that the company is doing. There are a lot of ways of doing that. And I do think that it requires a different mindset, a shift in thinking. I think that the people, the entrepreneurs that are most forward-looking and that see remote as a really great new opportunity to shift the way everyone is thinking, um, they're going to emerge from this as the winners rather than, sometimes I have spoken with more traditional CEOs who are like, you know, can't wait for COVID to be over. Um, I mean, nobody can wait for it to be over, but in the meantime, you also can stand still and not want to innovate, right? Because this is a changing world if you are not willing to change the way you communicate your culture or your core values and you're mm. just waiting for this whole thing to blow over you've probably lost a lot of employees by that time already mm-hmm. yes exactly so that's your, your key message uh to the startup ecosystem in netherlands uh, basically yeah so also uh, talking about your uh then your own venture uh, so you've 
uh, undergone massive growth, actually. Also been awarded several uh, uh, awards, right, and uh, recognitions in uh, the, the press. You uh, had to recruit additional uh, talents. Uh, I'm, I thought your sister is also on your, in your team, right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Okay, cool. H how were your roles divided within the team? You mean between me and my sister or the entire team? Yeah, just the entire team. Like, um, I've also oh. seen, for, for example, that you are not, uh, you, you do not title yourself the CEO. What, yeah, can you please tell me about your role <laughs> <world> division? <laughs> That's kind of funny because when I used to work at Salesforce, <laughs> I was looking after so many startups and scale-ups. I had, um, I think my territory is 5,000 clients in there. Some of those are very small companies, like one or two people companies, and then they would title themselves CEO which of course, rightfully so, right? They are a CEO on paper. For me, um, I'm probably the last person to care about hierarchy. Um, titles, I really don't like any of those. If you look at our website um, and you go to our team page, you'll, you'll see these really funny random titles. No one is like a CTO or a CEO or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, I believe, especially in a startup, it's not necessary. Uh, we're such a flat organization. People know that, you know, that I'm, I'm the founder of this company. And in a startup, it again, it, it, it doesn't matter. I may be the founder, but I, I, I do the small things. I do the big things. Um, we're too small for everyone to have clearly defined roles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would hope that even in 10 years, I still wouldn't have to call myself a CEO. Right. Yes. Yeah, because how do you see that uh, going forward? Uh, even if, if you find your skills, you also need to sort of professionalize your organization. How am I looking forward to scaling the organization? Yeah, like how you're, how you're going to organize the scaling and how, you're, how are you going to professionalize? And, and, and we have, we do have a full roadmap. Um, I'm a very organized person. So, you know, the plans for the coming three years are already set. Um, obviously, they're not set in stone as with every startup we learn as we go it, it may just be that next week we're fully changing the entire strategy but i find it's always very important to have a plan so that everyone involved has perspective and knows where we're headed mm -hmm. um, we always try to divide that into by annual we have quarterly goals monthly goals weekly is a bit too much but i do like to track weekly goals mm -hmm. um, in terms of scaling I'm really looking forward to it. What we're doing right now is we're professionalizing the, the processes. So uh, we recently started uh, restructuring our database just to make it ready to feed it into our AI engine. It's something that we're going to do in the next six months. Um, we're also, on, in terms of onboarding new hires, we're starting to really create and define our own culture now. And that also comes with a ton of resources, right? How do you onboard um, the next hire? Um, there's just a lot of small things here and there, I would say just processes that are just popping up left and right, using a CRM, um, using professional tools just to work more structured and, and smarter. Um, I do feel that you can't start early enough with doing that. Right. Okay. Interesting. And you, yeah, you also have a, an uh, advisory board, right? Uh, can you please tell me more about your advisory board? Because there, there are like um, 10 people in total, right? How, how frequent are you in touch with them and how did you get to know them? Um, and for what matters do you re reach out to them? So this is a mix of mentors, coaches, and advisors. 
And yes, we have quite, a, there are even some that are not on the website, um, but that still advise us on a weekly basis. So each of our advisors has a very distinct experience. Um, the majority of those are successful entrepreneurs or have uh, been successful entrepreneurs have successfully sold their businesses. Some of those come from many years in the corporate world. And we have someone who's very experienced with, um, with the platform business model. We have someone who is a professor at UC Berkeley. Um, so you, as you can see, it's an extremely diverse advisory board, which I found very important um, from day one. I've already, I've always strived to get people from different backgrounds mm -hmm. uh, in every sense of the word, by the way. Um, we even have um, an aerospace engineer, which is kind of funny because the, the kind of input he brings the, the perspective is so different from from us as like business techies right and he'll look at something and he'll say okay but um, to me it doesn't make sense because abc and then i'll look at it and i'll think <laughs> actually you're right you know um so i feel like it really really broadens the whole understanding of minute mm -hmm. so that's really great in terms of involvement it's different for every person some of those we speak on a weekly basis some we have uh, a monthly cadence meetings, um, but we speak with everyone at least once a quarter and get everyone up to speed with what's happening in the company. Mm -hmm. But um, okay, interesting. But then there are so many perspectives. Do you then still listen to all of them, or like what? What are some then sort of the downsides of having so many perspectives on your? The key here is always listen, always be open to what other people are saying. This is not just for my advisory board, but for people on my team, um, for fellow startups, for everyone that I speak with. I'm always very open to hearing what they have to say. What you're going to do with that feedback ultimately is up to the founder. And I think that's very important because that's a lesson that I really had to learn the hard way when we started out with such a big advisory board, everyone was just, you know, you're just being pulled in a million different directions. Someone tells you, hey, it should be a SaaS business model. Someone else says no transaction-based fee. Someone else said there should be no fee. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, if you keep tweaking, you're never going to progress. Mm -hmm. So I always think about, okay, what are they saying? Does it make sense? Yes or no? To what extent does it make sense? And if it makes sense, does it make sense for my company? And even if it does make sense for my company, does it make sense for my company now? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, I'll write it down. I'll put it into my jar of ideas, which we have with the team. Um, I'll move on. If I feel, hey, this is particularly useful, I'll talk about it with my co-founder um, and we'll implement it. Mm -hmm. But the key is definitely to understand who to listen to and also understand why are people saying it? Because sometimes, you know, it may be that they're misunderstanding something or they're, um, some, sometimes people have tunnel vision. It's, th that's not from my advisory board, but sometimes you speak with someone who says, well, you know, I've had a lot of people in the beginning when we started out with Minute who said, this could never work, never. Students are not freelancers. Students are not looking for these kind of flexible opportunities and they're busy enough. Mm. And then, you know, not even three months later, here we are. So mm. having that conversation again with those people, they'll now tell me, that's funny. I was wrong, but I had never expected this, which is why as a founder, it's always very important that you keep your focus, you understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and you make the final decisions on what to implement and what not. Right, right. So you uh, really assume that uh, accountability also. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
Okay, um, and and that also um, uh, keeps you all, all also on track, having these different perspectives, right? You uh, you have this team, but you also need to be as an entrepreneur very open to outside perspectives. Yeah, I feel like the moment you stop listening to even to, to anyone, to to the students, to your clients, anyone, any of your stakeholders, if you stop listening, you stop learning. If you stop learning, you you can't innovate, and then it's just you and your idea, but you'll never be able to progress it forward. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. And then I'm also wondering, like, within your team and also, like, more on an individual level, um, how do you keep yourself energized? Because everyone has sort of an inclination to either be a left-brained thinker or a right-brained thinker. Like, you either are very structured or you're very creative. Yeah, everyone has a mix of both, of course, but there's a... I, always sort of an inclination to either either side. Um, what, how would you describe yourself? And how do you then also manage your own productivity throughout the day? What sort of techniques do you apply? So I'm definitely more of a creative person. I have a ton of different ideas. Always my brain is running into a million directions at once. I've really had to force myself to be uh, much more structured about it, which is also why um, my sister who works in the company as well, she's she's my polar opposite. She is a super structured, extremely organized, uh, insanely realistic person, actually. <laughs> I'll come up to her with, and I'm like, hey, I got this great idea. And she'll say, but have you thought about A, B, C, D, E, F, G? And you know, a whole <laughs> list comes up and I'm like, no, you're right. Okay, never mind. So she, she really helps me um, see the bigger picture just take a step back see the bigger picture and help me understand hey that new idea that you're proposing does that contribute directly to our end goal yes or no mm -hmm. if yes let's do it if no let's stall it and again go into our our jar of ideas in terms of productivity i find it very important to work out i never used to work out like never ever i don't think i've worked out a day in my life before i uh, became an entrepreneur mm. but i think with the hours that the average entrepreneur does which is more than 100 a week easily it's really important to get your eyes away from the screen and mm -hmm. exercise or, or do something mm. so i started working out i went from zero to um, seven days a week of strength training every morning at 6 a.m um, going to the gym Sadly, that's not possible anymore, but I still like to go out for a run every day. Just to clear my head, it actually helps me become twice as productive. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have either uh, three activities, or you sleep, or you work, or you exercise. Is there or another? I read if I have a bit of time, I'd like to read. Yeah. But uh, that, that doesn't happen often. Because I, I read uh, on uh, like the uh, NL. I read an article also about yours. You you mentioned working fourteen now fourteen hours a day, uh, yeah. for seven days a week. That's, yeah, it's insane. Wow. It's I and also this is not something that I would advise to anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, we're doing it now because we're we're still very much at the beginning stage. There's so much work to do. We're, we have really good momentum. And so we feel like right now everything is coming to us at once. We're getting an influx of students, a ton of new clients that want to be onboarded. We want to be able to give everyone the right attention, right? And then we have uh, press reaching out and there's just so many things and so many opportunities mm. that we feel at this time, it doesn't make sense to work less than that. 
But I also understand that this is not a sustainable pattern and it's really important for people to take their rest. Mm -hmm. I actually had some of my friends who ran this really amazing startup and did really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of the founding team uh, was severely overworked and they ended up um, with a burnout Mm -hmm. and the startup had to close down Mm -hmm. and it had nothing to do with the startup failing or, or being a success or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the team behind it that just spent so much effort into it, mm-hmm. into that, that it sadly ended with having to, to close them, which is why I always tell people, yes, I do these number of hours. It's not a sustainable pattern. Don't follow it. And it's also not something that I feel should be um, admired or respected. Mm-hmm. It's just something that right now we feel we have to do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's a great answer to which you provide. Um, I'm very in- insightful as well. Um, making sort of the link with the flexible work, um, flexible work-based economy uh, as we're working toward that. We also need to be thoughtful about our own work-life balance, right? Um, and there is a special, I think, especially with flexible work, there's a danger that we, yeah, that we also overstretch ourselves do you think that's a major downside of flexible work and how can that be mitigated? How can, wh- um, what is your responsibility as an, as, an, uh, as an agency? I actually think that that is a major upside of flexible work. And um, I mean, we're not an agency, we're, um, we're a platform, right? We're here to help facilitate those interactions. And we do have a certain responsibility, of course, in making sure that our students are never overworked we even tell our students your first priority is school. So never commit to more hours than you can take on. And sometimes we have projects open for 20, 25 hours. We'll always check in beforehand with the student. What does your schedule look like? Is that something that you think you can handle? And we're really properly inform them and train them and tell them about the responsibility of being a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Once you take on this project, it's exactly as you say, you can just come back after four weeks in say, mm, actually it's too much now. So, you know, I can't do it anymore and then end up overworking yourself because you can't combine that. So we try to manage those expectations upfront. It's going very well so far, but I actually think there is a huge upside to flexible work. If you compare it to having a corporate job and obviously I come from the corporate environment myself, um, I think it's easier to get overworked there. Because mm-hmm. right now as a student, you can just say like, you know what? I have three months of, I don't know, whatever busy period of time. So during those three months, I'm not going to take on any new tasks and I'll just look for the short tasks, which you can also find on minute. Or maybe you say, okay, I want to do a little bit of work on this side, but I want to limit myself to five hours for one year. Then you can also do that. Mm-hmm. So having that flexibility also means having the freedom to to choose yourself and fill out your agenda without having your corporate boss fill it out for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's very interesting, and and thank you so much for uh, for your uh, advice there. What are your key entrepreneurial piece of advice for students? Um, do you mean for students who want to become an entrepreneur? Yeah. I would say start early. It's never too early to start, but it also it's also never too late to start because you always see the stories, right? Of like um, Ivy League dropouts who become the next billionaires and everything and that's all amazing of course uh, and they should be admired but that's not the majority of entrepreneurs in this world there are so many people who started very late um i believe the founder of workday 
actually started when he was 67, if I'm not wrong, <laughs> which is now a $25 billion company and one of the most respected companies in the world. Mm-hmm. So never feel like it's too early, never feel like it's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, network, incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Even the, the friends that you make now in university, that's your network. They're going to be really valuable for you. Maybe not now, but in five years, absolutely. Find a mentor, understand that no one is a superhuman, you know, even people with 100, 200 years of experience, um, okay, hypothetically speaking, no one can know it all. Mm-hmm. And it would be very arrogant to think that we could all do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think the best entrepreneurs know that we all need help. We all need a strong team around us. Right. So don't be afraid to ask mentors for help and try to be a mentor yourself to pass it on, give, uh, pay it forward. I would say that's it. Well, I have a lot of entrepreneurial advice, but this is, I would say, the most important ones off the top of my head. Yeah, cool. Uh, thank you. And uh, last question. Um, do you think like entrepreneurship is a skill or a natural ability? Oh, that's a very good question. I think it's both actually. When I think about myself, I, I do think entrepreneurship to some people comes naturally. For myself, I started when I was very, very young and I've always been very passionate about it. Does that make me a good entrepreneur? I don't know. It could be other other factors. There are also other people who um, again, don't become an entrepreneur until they're 60 or 70 and don't realize they have that passion for entrepreneurship, but they may turn out to be really good at it. So I feel like you, it should really be a combination of, of both. Yes. Okay. Clear. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Mickey. It was, uh, very informative and it was really inspiring also listening to your story. Yeah. So thanks a lot for your, uh, for your time. Uh, really appreciate thank your, you. uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.